We uh, began last night introducing this, uh, this topic. We're walking through 2 Corinthians chapter 8, an entire book of the Bible dedicated to generous living. Now remember the background, the church there in Corinth. Paul had come through earlier and challenged them to participate in a love offering. All the hands went up. We're in. We want to give to help those suffering saints back there in Jerusalem. But as the time is approaching now for Paul to come and receive that love offering, he's hearing that many are having second thoughts. And that's deeply concerning to him. See, he understands that their lack of generosity is a flaw in their spiritual growth and maturity. So his purpose in writing this portion of the letter is to motivate them to be generous. So we pick it up in verse 8. I say this not as a command. In other words, I'm not commanding you to be generous. No one can command you except God, of course. So he says, I'm not commanding you. It's got to come from the heart. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. You say you care for these people, but... You're not willing to help them. And then verse 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Why is God so concerned with our giving? Why would it matter to God? He doesn't need our gifts. He's not dependent on our giving. So why is giving a big deal? Because God is a giver. Actually, God is the greatest giver. You and I can never outgive God. And he reminds us how God put his giving nature on display when he sent his one and only son. He, he left the glories of heaven. Though he was rich, there he was ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father, the constant object of angelic adoration. Though he was rich, he became poor through the miracle of the incarnation, born as one of us, and living among us, even dying on the cross, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And then verse 10. In this matter, this matter of your giving, or lack thereof, in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Now Paul takes a different approach. How do we typically motivate people to give? We do so by making them feel sorry. These folks are starving out here, or these folks are without the gospel, and, and unless you give, they're going to be needy. That's typically how we motivate people to give. Paul takes a different tact. You need to do this, not for their sake, he says, but for your sake. This benefits you. That brings us to our second living, giving principle. I must be willing to be made materially poor if necessary in order that I or others might be made spiritually rich. I must be willing to be made spiritually poor. I'm following the example of our Lord Jesus who though he was rich became poor for our sakes that we might become rich. There are times that I need to give sacrificially something that is precious to me something that's important to me but I in a sense impoverish myself of that thing that possession 
be it my time, my energy, or my financial resources. I must be willing to be made materially poor that I and others be made spiritually rich. There is a benefit to the giver. Obviously, God's going to use it to bless the recipient. But Paul says there is a benefit to the giver that you are missing out on, and God wants to cultivate that generous heart. Some questions as we consider that principle. When was the last time, if ever, you demonstrated this principle in your life? That you were willing to give something up. That you were willing to part with something. Knowing that it would benefit you spiritually. Knowing that the act of sacrificing that would help grow you spiritually and be a blessing to others. What material sacrifices on your part might help to nurture your spiritual life? Again, the focus is not on the recipient, though they'll be blessed. What spiritual sac- uh, material sacrifices might help nurture your spiritual life? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three Gospels, all record the same story. So it was a big, a big deal to all of these disciples. A man comes to Jesus. We do not know his name. He's only described as rich, young ruler. He's wealthy. He's young. He has influence. He has a position. He has responsibility and he comes to Jesus and basically says Jesus I I want to become one of your disciples I want to join your team now I can see the other disciples over in the corner kind of watching that conversation and they're salivating oh man this guy's going to come along we've got a rock star now he's going to bring all kinds of credibility to this movement and he may even just bankroll this whole thing and then to their great shock Here's how Jesus responds. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus looked into that man's heart, and he said, there's an obstacle. There's a barrier between you being able to fully follow me You have an unhealthy love of things. So let me help divest you of that unhealthy love of material things. Let's get it out of the way so that you can fully follow me. And you may be thinking, Greg, that seems a little unfair. I agree. As a matter of fact, it was grossly unfair. That Jesus would offer him so much and ask for so little. Because whatever that man gave up paled in comparison to the spiritual rewards that were waiting for him. Number three, what specific material sacrifices could you make? Well, we've already done that one. That might help others to be made spiritually rich, so we're fine. All right, let me tell you a story. Brent mentioned Baytown, Texas. When we were down there, we had an eight-day summit just like this. Second Sunday night, Right after the last service, the pastor's wife came and sat by me, and she said, i got to tell you my story. Now, nine months before we got there, Harvey had hit massive flooding, and their house had been flooded, the pastor's house. So they were recouping from that, a lot of expense, a lot of emotional trauma. And then 
A few months after that, she heard her husband announce from the pulpit that he was bringing in a team and they were going to have an eight-day meeting. She was furious. She sat down with him. See, she was trying to help supplement their family income by giving piano lessons. And she sat down and she actually totaled up all of the piano lessons she would have to counsel and all the money that they wouldn't generate that week because she had to come to the revival services. Now, that was her attitude at the beginning of the week. And she said about midway through the week, God got a hold of my heart and showed me how narrow my focus was, how shallow, how superficial my focus was. And she said, I was broken and I repented. And she went to her husband and she said, now, how are we going to give? What are we going to do? And he said, well, let's pray. And they came back with a number and they were both shocked because it was a larger number than either one thought the other one would agree to. But by faith, she said, we committed. And so they gave their love gift. And then fast forward to Sunday night. She said, over the course of this last week, God brought five new piano students to me. She said, this never happens. Five new piano students. She said, in a couple of months, not only will God have restored to us all the income I lost this week by canceling lessons, but God will have also restored to us everything we just gave away. And she was so excited because she was learning that this matter of giving, this is an adventure that God has called us to enjoy.